Hello, everyone, and welcome to another podcast of Grit Stories of Resilience. Thanks for listening this week. Clark Wright, a terrific civil lawyer from Newburn, North Carolina, for most of the last number of years, first with the law firm of Warden Smith, and now in his own law practice in Newburn is happy to join me today and we're going to talk we could talk a lot about a lot of stuff couldn't we clark we could just go on and on about the law practice your love of hiking and the outdoors he's got a thousand pictures i hope we'll be able to show some of them to you at another podcast with clark but today we're going to talk about mental health clark knows more about mental health than the average lawyer not only from his own personal issues but from a sister growing up who tragically took her own life. And then the proud daughter, proud husband and father of two daughters. What could be better than two daughters? And yet when they were in their teenage years, they each struggled with depression, I guess, and sought to take a way out of this life. Gratefully and fortunately, they were not successful, and they are with us today, not on this podcast, but they are here with us on this earth today. Clark, it's nice to have you with me today. Thanks for being here. Absolutely, Jim, and uh, glad to finally find some time where we could do one and look forward to maybe doing some more about hiking and my law practice, which has been a, an amazing journey. Well, but, I have to uh, I have to tell you, Clark sent me to the list. Clark sent me some photographs. I asked him for the headshots, and he sent me some photographs. And I sent these, some of these, to some of our students at NC State who were helping me develop some uh, marketing for social media on these things. And they were fascinated with the pictures that you sent with the out of doors. And this will be fun to do in a future podcast. When did you first become aware? that there was even such a thing as mental health issues. I know myself, it was late in life, but when did you first come into touch with that? Early in my life. Um, and first, just out of vanity's sake, I have a nice uh, unique uh, tooth gap there, which relates to my latest hiking adventures where I had to have it pulled and now we're trying to figure out what to do. But uh, so I understand. That's, that's tied to my hiking, last hiking adventure of, at Mount Rainier. Um, Jim, I, in my life, it, um, unfortunately I had to grow up very fast. I'm one of four. I'm the second oldest with my sister, Nell, who's now no longer with us, uh, being the oldest. And Nell was born, um, 56, 1956. And she was, right in the midst of the turmoil and and uncertainty of the late 60s and early 70s, just as she was going through adolescence. And we, our family has a history of um, endocrine system disorders, and Nell struggled with um, an overactive thyroid and then later on with uh, adult-onset diabetes. But when she was in her teens, um, she was a handful and um, my parents 
especially my dad would come to me in, in, in my room and, and ask me for advice. And, uh, I, uh, you know, I was willing to do the best I could then, but I was a, a, a teenage boy with my own struggles. And that was a tough, uh, tough challenge. I don't, um, uh, begrudge my dad for doing that, but it, it made me grow up fast. And I sort of became the oldest, um, de facto anyway, but Nell, um, Nell ended up, um, as the, we old folks say, which makes younger people roll their eyes running around with the wrong crowd. And one night, uh, my parents were confronting her about her drinking and staying out late. And, um, that's another thing. I think, uh, alcoholism, the gene for that, I think that may be a, another factor in our family tree, but, uh, and she got uh, really mad and um, smashed her her hand and arm through a, a really thick plate glass that was part of the living room, the, the, the main door to our home up in Raleigh, and ran out. And um, um, dad and mom and me and my younger brother and sister were, you know, just trying to figure out what to do. And I being just kind of the way I am, I, I told dad, I said, let me go after her. I'll, I'll never forget the memory of um, literally tracking her uh, almost like a hunter who's uh, shot and wounded a deer. You know, I was following blood stains on the sidewalk, then our driveway and then down the street. And, uh, you know, I, I was successful in, finding Nell and, and getting her to come back home. But, you know, all that was when I was whew, maybe 14, 15. And of course, nobody talked about it much then. And um, kind of jumping around much, much later, uh, my dad was a doctor and a, a darn beloved and great one um, in Raleigh. And his, the first, partner he recruited in him and Tom Umflett opened their practice. Um, ben Ferdon became my uh, physician for many, many years. And Ben confided in me uh, when I was first confiding in, in folks, including him about my own struggles with depression. And he told me that, that my dad had struggled with depression and that just kind of blew me away. But it, um, it goes to show again, certainly in my dad's generation and still to this day, it's, it's not easy to talk about. And a lot of people are uncomfortable talking about it, but I think, uh, you know, uh, sort of segues into, I highly encourage folks to consider getting a copy of this simple little book called the happiness trap. And this is a little paperback version. That's easy read. And to try to sum it up, it, it, you know, the, we're all going to experience a negative emotions. And then the question is, how are we going to respond to that? And the trap is if you're experiencing a negative emotion, even a very powerful one, and you then feel like you need to judge yourself for that, that, you know, something must be wrong with me because I'm angry or depressed or whatever. And, um, the, 
the idea behind this book is to acknowledge that and let the feeling run its course and then try to do some things to uh, come out the other side or focus on the more um, positive aspects of your life. Easy to say, harder to do, but it's, it's good to have reminders of that. And that segues into something again, a lot later that one of the therapists, the many therapists I've interacted with suggested, which is not a new concept, but it's such a good one of, of a gratitude jar. But even if you don't do the jar, the jar, the idea behind the jar is anytime something good happens to you, just scrawl it on a slip of paper and put it in there. And then at the end of the year, say maybe Thanksgiving, um, everybody can uh, open it up and, and read through and, and, you know, remember and focus on the fact that, you know what, a lot of good stuff happened to us or to you this past year. And we forget about that too. I actually was listening to NPR maybe yesterday or the day before and, and they were interviewing this fellow, maybe it was science Friday of last week was talking about um, the whole dilemma of the fact that the, he used the concept headwinds and tailwinds. And the point he was making is that when you've got a tailwind, things are going well and whatever it is, whether it's in your personal life or your career or your education, um, positive things are happening. You tend to almost forget those and take them for granted. And the headwinds on the other hand are right there in front of you. And you've got to deal with that almost, you know, going back to evolutionary uh, uh, basis for that, as well as you got to deal with that and solve the problem because it's right there in front of you. And so again, his idea was make a conscious effort to, to uh, acknowledge and be grateful for those, you know, tailwinds. Let me ask you this question. I know that you have told me in previous conversations that when you were, an adult, not a teenager, uh, even though you had suffered from your own issues of bouts of depression. Um, and I want to come back to that in a few minutes, but right now I want to go into the, the most extreme view of depression that one can have is when a person seeks to commit suicide or take their life. You have a unique perspective on this. I think, in that you have seen it up close, not with yourself, but with people whom you have loved and know well. How old, you have two daughters. How old was your the, your first daughter when she was so unhappy that she wanted to do something to herself? How old was she? Um, I would say... 14 or 15 right in there and I've talked with them and, and got some mixed reactions but Anna was very about it so I feel like I can talk more freely about her and her situation and Hannah um, you know they're they're related but Hannah always struggled with um, anxiety and I think kind of the classic um, firstborn um, wanting to please um, you know having lots of attention and feeling like, uh, you know, if you're not perfect, you're not measuring up. Now, 
not necessarily to the extent that uh, my younger daughter or myself for that matter uh, uh, went with that, but she, um, she was having trouble again, fitting in. And um, even though she's a great athlete, she was uh, playing a, varsity volleyball at, at uh, epiphany where um she went for her uh n- you know ninth through 12th grade and you know started there and and did a good job there but you know epiphany is an interesting um, um little school it's it's a private school that was founded by nicholas sparks primarily and it's has a uh, a christian background uh uh to the educational process there and that that can be a great thing but it also i think um can be uh uh, off-putting and i'll never forget one time when hannah was first really struggling they have a, a a beautiful tapestry in the entrance hall that says um you know love others as you would have them love you a great you know, challenge and edict from Jesus and in the Bible. And Hannah looked at me and said, well, what do you do if you don't love yourself? And that just blew me away because that's a lot answer, of it in a nutshell. How did you answer that? Um, I told her that it's a journey and that, you know, Early in life, the emotions are more intense and you feel like it's now or never, but that uh, just hang with it. And again, focus on some uh, some positives. I think the sport of volleyball was a great uh, common uh, denominator between Hannah, myself and my wife, Johanna, who played professionally, both on the beach and indoors in France. And Hannah loves the sport, too. Because we were taking her out to the sand courts and and indoor uh, tournaments on weekends when starting when she was two or three years old. That's so pretty she, good. Yeah, that's yeah. you know. Did you was that the first warning sign with Hannah that there was something not quite right when she said, "What do you do if you don't love yourself?" Absolutely, and and we were already. Uh, talking about it because she had um that was actually in a, a conference with um david wang who i think is still the headmaster out at epiphany um and she had writing some very dark poetry or um short essays as part of different assignments in english classes or or similar classes and um she also had posted on what she thought was uh, a private uh, Instagram account, some pretty dark thoughts. And um, I'm forever grateful. It, you know, it's easy to say, hard to do, but the old see something, say something. It's not just about, you know, terrorism and crime. It, it, it can be a real important part of um the fabric of trying to get help to folks who need it, but maybe don't recognize yet that they need it. And the, I can't even remember which kid it was, but they went home 
told their parents and their parents called the school and the school called me and Joe. And, uh, and I think I was free to come in and, and that's when Hannah, um, uh, related that, uh, that very honest truism and, and Hannah's a very honest person, which I'm very thankful for. And, uh, down here in Newburn, um, much better now, but there weren't that many choices of folks to try to go see. But one of them was uh, Becky Gata, who is just an amazing um, therapist. She's not a, you know, a doctor, psychiatrist, but she's a wonderful therapist. I think there's a lot of truth in the, the saying that uh, the psychiatrists uh, write prescriptions for, for pills, but a good therapist is does the real work in terms of developing yeah. a relationship with you and with hannah um i'll just stick with that journey for a minute um i got her to be willing to go see becky gata i had been seeing becky some and and what i love about her is she's a great listener but she's tough and she doesn't let you get away with it and it still resonates with me to this day because I have my uh, Scottish Irish heritage. I can uh, fire up with a temper in a, in a heartbeat, but um, Becky's comment to me or challenge to me was um, who are you and why are you so angry? Mm -hmm. And I've never, never forgotten that. And I think the answer is a lifelong journey of introspection, but that's a really good one. Who are you? And why are you so angry or why do you get so angry? And mm -hmm. um, it really all comes back to, you know, if I could sum all the therapy up in, in one sentence, it would be uh, uh, rip the rear view mirror out of your car and start looking ahead. And one of my favorite sayings is, uh, you know, one of the keys to life is to always find something to look forward to no matter how simple or, or long-term or short-term it may be. And Hannah, uh, Becky Gata, every time she would end a session with one of her uh, clients slash patients, um, most of whom were younger, uh, she would look them in the eye and, and make them promise, will you stay safe until our next uh, appointment? And one day, thank goodness, Hannah told her, I can't, I can't make you that promise. And of course that triggers a lot of things. Uh, Becky then has to, uh, she's legally obligated to call social services, but she also called me and, um, I, uh, came in as I like to do, uh, Mr. Fix it, uh, and talk social services out of, um, taking Hannah and with the promise that I would um, find uh, some private uh, mental health um, uh, uh, options for her. And it's so interesting, you know, the way we ended up in Newburn was I was recruited by Warden Smith to leave my environmental protection section job in the attorney general's office and come down here. And we did. And I spent uh, about 11 wonderful years there. And, and so I called Troy because it's interesting. Both oh, David and Troy um, 
as our relationships as well as others in the firm, you know, began opening up about the fact that uh, they had seen uh, folks for their own struggles. In fact, including Gene Spaulding, who obviously both you and I know well. And so I, I'm glad I thought of it. I just called Troy and I was like, you know, what can I do here and how can you help me? And, and, you know, again, this is the kind of thing that's not available to the vast majority of folk, but, um, you know, when it's your child, you'll do whatever you, you need to do. And Troy knew the, the, the psychiatrist who was the head of a wonderful little known, um, entity called the UNC adolescent, um, psychiatric in, uh, unit up there in, in part of the UNC hospital system at, in Chapel Hill. And, um, so I ended up, Troy gave me his, the, the that doctor's, uh, cell phone and I called him and he was great. And he, he literally said, uh, we're booked and we have a wait, but I'll tell you what you, you get with Hannah packs a few things and, and you head up and I'll give you the directions to where you go to be admitted and, um, and we'll work something out. So that's what Hannah and I did. And, uh, we spent, um, three days and two nights in <laughs> kind of the classic one flew over the cuckoo's nest, you know, padded cell with, had a little TV with padding all around it. And so and, you uh, stayed, you stayed with Hannah in the padded cell for yeah, three days yeah. and three nights. Yeah. And I don't even know what I ended up skipping out on, but the folks at the firm were really good about covering for me. And um, again, that shows you, you know, you just never know, but relationships you build to, to, they're going to always come times when we need to be able to rely on some other folks. And, I am forever grateful for Troy, what he did there. And, and again, a part of me feels a little bit of guilt over it, but not much. You know, I had the ability to get connected, pull strings. And we literally, this nurse came in the morning of the third day and, and said, you know, be quiet. Don't say anything to anyone and follow me. And she took me up. A bed had opened up in the, uh, they have a 12 bed, at least then, um, uh, 12 beds in their adolescent psychiatric unit. And so Hannah got one of them, literally, uh, probably jumping in front of a half dozen others. Um, but, uh, you do what you can do. And it was while she was there receiving some good therapy that Hannah, uh, made her serious attempt to, uh, um, you know, tied bed sheets together and tried to hang herself in, in the, the bathroom. But of course they have cameras and, and people checking in on you and she was unsuccessful and, um, has gone on an amazing journey since then. Um, when Hannah quote graduated from that intensive care psychiatric unit, um, I had, located again by talking to other wonderful friends a, a a woman in raleigh and i think she may still be doing this and, and she was a saint uh, her name is lisa reed and what lisa does is she travels the country and and uh tries to keep tabs on what are the best um 
wilderness therapy programs and therapeutic boarding schools and what might be a good fit. And she, she uh, does an intake interview and she doesn't get any commission or feedback from any of these places. She just charges a flat fee for an interview and then uh, recommendations that hopefully you and your child uh, agree on. And, and we agreed on it. A wilderness therapy program called Second Nature, which has, um, uh, I think their main office is in Utah, but they also have a program in Georgia. And so, you know, Hannah and I got on an airplane, flew out to Salt Lake City and uh, were met by those folks. And, you know, I gave her a big hug and, and said goodbye. And she went through that program and you know, the wonderful thing about wilderness therapy programs, at least the ones done right, and I'll get to that in a minute, um, is that Mother Nature uh, doesn't talk back. You can't blame your parents. You can't blame anyone. If you don't learn how to make a fire, then you eat cold food. If you don't learn how to pitch your little tin or tarp, then you get cold and wet uh, when it rains. And if you don't learn how to uh, pack your pack and have your shoes on right and you're going to be miserable because they those kids walk you know eight ten miles a day the uintas mountains which are very rugged and uh, and if you don't figure out how to get along with the others in your group life's going to be a whole lot more miserable and um hannah just um really grew up so much there and and blossomed there but at the end of that program which was um gosh uh, 10 12 weeks um they felt she was ready to move it to a, a next step but they recommended and and johanna and i agreed that hannah um spend uh if you will kind of like a halfway half of, that she attend a, a therapeutic boarding school and Lisa recommended small but wonderful program called Chrysalis located in the north, very north corner of Montana. When you talk about cold, I can remember going to visit one time in my little rental car, reading like minus eight degrees one evening. Good gracious. <laughs> well, how, is, there. how is Hannah doing today? How is well, Hannah and I'll, I'll, I'll jump up forward real fast. Uh, so, she uh, she likes the outdoors, always had, and she became an avid snowboarder there. And, of course, this is a typical tool as well. They had uh, therapy horses and the horse program, and they did wonderful um, excursions into um, Glacier National Park, which is one of the most beautiful places on God's green earth. It's one of my favorite places to backpack, and, and so Hannah and I had that in common. So um, anyhow, um, she completed a, a, a year's worth of work and school at uh, uh, Chrysalis and then came back and finished out her uh, high school years uh, at Epiphany. And then we uh, did the college search and picked a wonderful school. I love it. It's what the hat says, too. Appalachian State, App State up in Boone, where she uh, uh, 
studied environmental biology and uh, is now in a master's program um, writing her own uh, research study on aspects of bee pollination and the life cycle of, that's related to uh, bees in terms of potential for climate change to really impact what kind of uh, vegetation and flowers and whatnot are available for bees to live and thrive. So Hannah's up there at uh, App State. Uh, she didn't play varsity volleyball there, but they have a wonderful club program. She's played club volleyball and their club team won a club national championship uh, a couple of years ago. And uh, so a lot has gone very well for Hannah. She still struggles some with um, anxiety, um, but she's developed a, a good group of friends. And, you know, through the commonality of volleyball is where a number of them came from, but she's doing great. Yeah. And, uh, well, you know, Clark, well, I've known you a long time and I, but I have to tell you my listening to you talk here this morning and talking about Hannah, Hannah is one lucky girl in, yeah. in that she had a father and a dad who dropped everything to take care of and look after her and make sure she was safe. And that's, that's my reaction to that, 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 that's a victory, not only for Hannah, but for you as well, I think in Hannah's life. Uh, so Absolutely. I think that's, that's, that's the thing that comes through to me. And I want people to hear that from your story. I think, tell me about your other daughter. Well, and, and a couple of things on that point too, Jim, um, you know, uh, this kind of care was off the charts expensive. Um, you know, these programs often run, just pick a round number, $10,000 and up a month. Right. A month. And uh, I uh, uh, was actually audited by not the feds, but the state, uh, because for several years there, I had, you know, high six digit metal expense, medical expense deductions. And, and they were wondering uh, what's up with that. And in classic Clark ankle biter fashion, I, I put together four different envelopes, all the paperwork and whatnot. And uh, at the end of that, they, they wrote a check. <laughs> I got a frame for about 1200 bucks. Uh, so that, that that's was pretty a good. side that's, story. That's pretty good. That's good. What about your other daughter? Well, and, and again, part of the backdrop here is, you know, with my wife has struggled with her own addictions since I first met her when she was uh, an all-star athlete at Millbrook in Raleigh, where she had four letters, four in softball, four in basketball, four in volleyball. And us uh, meeting and, and falling in love, I think, was the key to switch her from pursuing a basketball career versus a volleyball career where she utterly is excel. But, um, you know, there was a rocky time in there. I think a big advice I would give is, and it's really hard to do that is what do you tell your kids versus screen them from at various ages about maybe your own problems 
you know, husband, wife or spouse, spousal in nature. And that's not an easy one. But one thing's for sure, they know more than you think they know. And asking about um, Lizzie, I'll never forget. One day she came home from school and um, back then, and I treasured it, um, I would, quote, say prayers and hang out with them, uh, tuck them in at night. And they, we had a bunk bed set, so they, they roomed together for um, many years. And by the way, I think that's a good thing in terms of learning some give and take. But Lizzie burst into tears and said, um, is mom going to die? And they had just had one of those, uh, sort of like I can remember the old gory movies we had to live through in driver's ed, you know, about, uh, don't drive drunk or, you know, you'll end up with your inner smell on the road. Um, and, and they had had one of these, uh, sort of stern Nancy Reagan style, um, just say no and don't do drugs. Don't, uh, don't drink, uh, and drive. And, um, and all of that. And you stop and think about this, Jim. This is something that I, I don't know how I, I make this point to folks where it would matter. But how in the world have we not recognized that when those programs are given to kids now at younger and younger ages, justifiably so, there's almost a certainty that someone in that child's uh, circle of family either immediate or one mood, you know, aunts, uncles, nieces, nephews has struggled with um, one or more of the issues they're talking about. And, you know, this just say no way to young kids and without any follow-up opportunity to help those kids understand and, and deal with, okay, well, you know, my uncle, is, is you know drinks too much or i know he does some drug or not and and just telling kids to just say no and exposing them at, at earlier and earlier points of, in their life without us providing us public or private some better counseling and mental health opportunities for our kids uh, in school starting at least in middle school and most definitely in high school, I think that's one of the great challenges we continue to face and not do very well on, at least not yet. Um, and so that blew me away again. It made me think about um, the issues of mental health and drugs and whatnot in a whole different way. You know, is, is mom going to die? Because I had told them that Joe had struggled some with, with, um, her drinking and, and some other things. And so, you know, here Lizzie now being exposed to that, don't, you know, just say no, very dangerous things at school and not having any way to process that. And I think that really had an impact on her. And one of my great regrets is that I, um, I, uh, I guess two, one, the standard one, uh, there's nobody's tombstone that says, darn, I wish I'd spent more time at the office, but right. I, I was spending a huge amount of time at work. I'm very competitive and was doing very well, but that meant that 
those energies were not being focused as much on family as they should have been. And that's the primary reason I ended up leaving Warden Smith. They, they treated me great, no regrets, but I'm glad I did was in part to have more flexibility in terms of family, as well as my crazy pursuits of hiking, climbing and whatnot. But Lizzie um, struggled with depression, but with her, it was much more anxiety, um, oppositional, they even call it oppositional disorder, which is not uncommon in a second child. They tend to be more rebellious because uh, they see the first and, and they feel like they're always having to play catch up because, um, you know, they, they came later. And um, the thing that Lizzie had the most that she still struggles with is um, um, I'm not sure what I'd call it, but a, a perfectionist syndrome. It's like if, if she can't do it perfectly, then um it just tears her up. And, you know, we've all heard the stories about Abraham Lincoln or this, that, or the other athlete where they failed, they failed, they failed, but they kept at it and finally succeeded. Lizzie's had a hard time uh, keeping at it. And another thing that runs in our family big time is um, ADHD or OCD or all those uh, acronyms. And, um, and so it's it's hard for her to focus and to uh, follow through. And then if it's not perfect, she um, she has a really difficult time with that. I think I've told you this story, Jim. One time she came home, slammed the door to the room, her room at where she and Hannah st uh, slept, and threw something in the trash can. Johanna had been with her and was shaking her head and what she threw in the trash was a handful of ribbons, almost all of which were blue, but they weren't all blue. And so that meant she had failed in her mind. And, you know, we've talked about that many different times, but that, you know, think about that, you know, someone who has excelled great probably would have won an MVP if they'd given it for the little school field day. I don't know, second or third grade. And, and, and she was completely torn apart by the fact that she didn't win first place in every event. And how I think she, it, how it, is she it, doing now? She's doing well, but still struggling with, um, uh, uh, education and, focusing on, um, you know, a career and converting some of her passions into um, a longer term. Uh, did it did it reach that uh, point? Yeah. Did it reach the point with her, like Hannah, that she ultimately tried to do something to herself? Absolutely. In fact, um, in a way that was much, much more traumatizing to me and Johanna, and probably Hannah as well, but um, Lizzie, again, the rebel and impetuous, uh, I had uh, noticed that the, we only let them use the family computer in the living room where at least we could see. Right. And uh, I was able to look at the history and saw where she had been and really didn't like it. So I changed the password on the computer 
And oh boy, I regret this. I guess I do. I don't know in hindsight, but you know, it gives you a, if you get the password wrong, you can click on a hint button. And under hint, I had written, change that to the word consequence. And, you know, Lizzie got home from school and was trying to log on and saw that. And she was just livid. You know, she's talked to me about this since. And um, she went into our bathroom and um, ate every pill she could get her hands on in in the cabinet which included my my thyroid medicine uh, i suffer the same genetic issue that uh, my older sister nell did and my younger brother does too and as well as the antidepressant that i was on at the time and who knows what else and uh, you know i got home it was a friday i'll never ever forget jim and um, i could tell something was wrong because lizzie was pale and cold and but she wouldn't say anything. I was like, well, you know, what's wrong? Um, and just nothing, nothing. So I went into my bathroom and thank God there were, um, um, she had finally gotten her fill of these pills, thrown the rest in the toilet and had flushed it. But at least one had knocked it down. So I saw that and I knew was up and then I checked the pill bottles and, and freaked out and um, called 911 and, and we went over to uh, the ER here at Carolina East Medical Center and um, and while we were checking into the ER she went into convulsions and I was holding her you know in my arms praying and and here's this beautiful child and I thought she was going to die. I really did. And they were able to, um, you know, I think pump her stomach out and, and administer some other, um, whatever. I don't, I have, that's all a, a blur to me now. But what I do remember is, um, that she was still in convulsions and hallucinating and the doc saying, you know, there's nothing they can do other than try to sedate her. And he, kept trying to sedate her and she kept still, uh, being, um, physically, uh, uh, in convulsions. And, and then they told me that they wanted to airlift her to Vident in Greenville because they have a pediatric intensive care unit there, but that they couldn't, uh, load her into the helicopter until they, she would calm down more, you know, not so much emotionally, just physically. She was, uh, uh going through a terrible physical ordeal and so they're sedating her more and more and i'm sitting there oh my gosh and um anyhow they finally get her sedated enough and put her in the air ambulance to go to divide but it was the smaller copter that they had available and i couldn't go so i i had to run home pack a bag and drive from newburn to greenville and I'll never forget, we lived right near the hospital, and I got pulled right there on Broad Street by one of Newburn's And I just broke down in tears, told him my story, and he let me go and, and just said, look, it won't do you any good if you kill you getting there. And I got to uh, to Greenville, and, um, you know, I, I didn't know what I would find. 
Um, but they had checked Lizzie in and, you know, she was in a, a private room and <laughs> strapped to the bed because she's still having convulsions. And again, I stayed with her for three days straight um, as she would wake up and go through convulsions and hallucinations again and, and then drift back off asleep. And um, to this day, Jim, we live still fairly near the, the, the hospital. And whenever I hear that helicopter coming or going, um, it brings back those memories. And, you know, I'm dealing with my own sort of PTSD related to that much more so than Hannah's situation. But um, long story, a little shorter there. Um, um, we went to Lisa Reed and unfortunately made the mistake because Lizzie seemed like she was doing well, but of, of picking up a creatively oriented uh, therapeutic boarding school because Lizzie's incredibly gifted as an artist and as a singer, as well as as an athlete. But um, come to find out in hindsight that even though Lisa Reed does her due diligence, that program was actually one of the bad ones. And uh, Lizzie ran away twice. And um, the program ended up getting shut down literally a few weeks after she ran away the second time. And, you know, I'll never forget the, the fellow who had founded it and owned it. It seemed like a good guy just telling me, well, you know, we found her, but she can't come back here. And I mean, not even to say goodbye or get her stuff. It's like, you've got to do something with her. Here's a couple of names of uh, transport services you might call. And that was it. And so, again, I had to um, uh, play Superman and finally uh, was able to get her a spot at the same program, second name that Hannah had attended in Utah. And, you know, I had to drive to where this program was called the Monarch School. Um, um, but Lizzie wasn't there. I actually had to drive to the, the main hospital. It was it Curdaline, Idaho was the nearest place. And have Lizzie checked out in my care. And, and um, um, she went to Second Nature, where she, uh, she ran away. She only ran away once there because she ended up in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and realized pretty soon that, that that wasn't necessarily a good option. I'm glad she had the wisdom to come back on her own. But she's just so, so much a, uh, uh, a strong-willed personality uh, to this day. And uh, I've, I've learned to back way the heck off with her. And I just tell her I love her and that I'm Joe and I, that we've got her back. And and she's figuring it out. It's, uh, you've had the stories you've told here today. I mean, with two daughters who you love unconditionally, both went to the edge of abyss. But by the grace of God and you and friends and good medical yeah. help came back. You know, when we were before we went on live here this morning, you were talking to me that. Uh, you might want to take a couple of minutes here at the end to segue into what you do today in your life 
with the right. stress of a law practice, yeah, which is demanding as we speak, being a husband of and the father of two girls, even if they were had never had an issue in the world, the father of two girls is probably stressful in and of itself. But certainly with this with the struggles they have had, it's 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 just amazing. What do you do, Clark, to unwind, to get away, to relax? What have you chosen to do? Well, I'm, uh, as those who know me well, I have all kinds of crazy uh, uh, pursuits there. I, I played semi-pro beach volleyball on the East Coast um, while I was uh, in law school studying for the bar. And then while I was in private practice in Raleigh and even in the attorney general's office as well. And, and since. And then I, ever since I've been a, a small child, again, blessed with the opportunity, I attended some amazing summer camps, one of them called Gwyn Valley, G-W-Y-N-N. I attended as a kid, and my dad was the camp doctor, and my mom served as a camp nurse, and I still have such fond memories of hanging out up in the mountains. It's pretty close to Brevard in this beautiful place um, all summer long. And I was the geeky, very shy, painfully shy fellow back then. And finding out that I was good at things like rock climbing or whitewater or backpacking, uh, that did a lot for me and my own sense of self-worth. And as I've learned more and more in the decades since, um, you know, some form of physical exercise is one of the best antidepressants, anti-anxiety, whatever you want to call it, one of the best medicines of all for for anybody and everybody. And, you know, even just playing golf, which my wife loves, and I'll pack around with her because of that. That's outdoors, and 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 you're in a, a form of nature. And just walking, you know, Newburn has beautiful uh, availability, the Croatan National Forest and uh, and the two rivers. We've got kayaks. And, but, uh, for me, it's still, I've got a, a group of very close friends that I've met through my serious backpacking exploits. And to this day, we try to do, um, even if it's just a long weekend, uh, have get togethers that we can reminisce and trade in stories like this of, you know, again, every family has its own, uh, own challenges and, um, uh, that that helps keep me sane or at least partially sane um one of my biggest struggles is i do get very emotionally involved um with my clients which is both a wonderful thing and um a potentially uh very bad thing in terms of stress and physical and mental health i have a very hard time leaving leaving it at the office and and so that's still a struggle um and sort of tying that in my wound up stressed out nature i get i contracted shingles as i like to say santa claus shingles uh will be 10 years ago and um unfortunately um my attack was extremely virulent and i still have very serious post-pedic 
neuropathy, which means that the pain has never left my body. And uh, luckily localized in my left hand and, and, and wrist and lower forearm. But um, that's been a real struggle for me. And again, that goes back to, you know, I can just see it in hindsight, plain as day to not um, managing stress, stress well enough back when, when I contracted shingles and, um, you know, trying to, to have your own uh, ways of ma managing stress, I think is incredibly important for those of us who practice law in general, and especially for those of us who still do uh, you know, the litigation aspect of practicing law, which, you know, most lawyers never do. You know, the, the vast majority of lawyers are involved in transactional uh, uh, practices without um, dealing with um, the litigation side. But it's have important ever, to manage have ever, stress. Have you ever gone on the Appalachian Trail? <laughs> you know, that was a lead, leading question. Yes, uh, I've hiked the whole darn thing. And, uh, uh, ironically, I, I'd wanted to do that since I was a teen, but just never worked out. And then, uh, what was it, in the year 2000, Christmas of 2000, um, Scrappy Bell, Al Bell at Warden Smith, someone had given him a copy of Bill Bryson's A Walk in the Woods, and he'd finished it, and he knew that I enjoyed the outdoors, and so he gave me a copy, and I read it, and it was just an epiphany. I was 44, um, you know, burning out, but doing great, and um, this was uh, before all the, the kids and those issues. But that was my, my midlife crisis. I went to David and Troy and said, I need a six-month sabbatical to hike the Appalachian Trail. And I, I figured they'd say, well, have a nice life. But uh, in what I think is a wonderful backhanded compliment, they said, we'll work it out. Go do it. And so I set off in the spring of 2001, but Somehow or another, we had gotten pregnant uh, before I left with Lizzie, and I realized when I was halfway in the middle of Pennsylvania, I needed to come home. So I came home, and um, Lizzie was born, then spent a year um, uh, dealing with, um, I mean, it was, that was, again, a very um, uh, tough time in my life because when I got back, from hiking the half of the trail, I was changed forever, one, but also getting ready to go back to work. And my first scheduled day back to work was in um, the first week of September. And that was the uh, year of 9-11. So I was home having hiked the trail, kind of rethinking my whole life when I watched that all unfold live on TV. And then about a week after I started back at Warden Smith is when um, Lee Wilkinson came into my office and told me that she had just gotten a call from my mom and that my older sister, Nell, had, had committed suicide. And um, so I, again, playing the Mr. Clark to the rescue, went up and, and helped my mom deal with that. But uh, 
that the hiking on the trail in early 01, 9-11, and then Nell's passing um, forever changed me in many positive ways. And, and that's when I, uh, I told Troy um, that, you know, I, I needed to quit the big firm environment. And at the time I did it. I didn't have anything lined up. I just did it, which is kind of my style for better and worse. But Johnny Ward had, had left the firm before that, and I ended up joining him and Scott Davis and Deck Ward. At, there's so many wards here in Newburn. There were like three or four different firms with Ward in their name. But uh, Ward and Davis then morphed into um, Davis Hartman Wright. And gosh, it's hard to believe I left Warden Smith in June of 2002. And uh, so it's been. 21 years. That was a wonderfully good decision that I made just in terms of allowing me more time with family and to do the things I love to help be an antidote to the stress and my own mental health challenges, as well as uh, those um, in the rest of our family. It's uh, It's been quite a journey. It has, and I just can't thank you enough. Uh, Clark, for taking time today to tell us a little bit about it. It's just remarkable. And I have to say that, you know, going through one of these experiences with one child would be a lot. Going with two is more. And then with a older sister is three. That's then, hard. And, and yourself, Dealing with your own four. issues, and I think I, it's and four. Then, and, and then my, and my wife, my wife, is five, five, and so uh, I, that's but, a lot. Uh, it but is, you're still, but you're still here kicking. Yep, and um, you know, a couple of thoughts I would have for others to consider is one, you know, um, there's a there was a chart or poster that a lot of these programs use a version of some call it the three C's, some the seven C's C as in the letter C in the alphabet, but the three C's are the easiest. And they are, uh, I didn't cause it. I can't control it and I can't cure it. And the point being that the it there is someone else's, struggles whatever they may be and uh, this may sound strange but i believe it's true one of the counselors i've dealt with i can't remember which uh, uh, commented to me once that guilt is the ultimate selfish emotion and stop and think about that a minute and what this person meant by that is that when you feel guilty it's because you think often, almost always wrongly, that something you could have done would have changed the outcome for someone else. And um, the simple reality is it doesn't work that way. So when you feel guilty, you're essentially uh, assuming that you could have done something different to control, call, not call to control the other person's problem. And um, that's a really valuable lesson. Not easy. It 
kind of ties in with parenting with the, the, the phrase of the helicopter parent. You know, if you, if you're always rescuing your kids out of whatever troubles they've gotten themselves into without what you're, there's two messages you're sending, whether you know it or believe it or not, but it's true in every instance. One, if you helicopter in, the implicit message to your child is that you don't think they, so they need you. And of course, the other message is that um, uh, you're shielding them from the consequences of their own action. And that's the beauty, again, of, of wilderness therapy. Now, there is no one else to blame. And the, the, the link between your actions and consequences is pretty direct. You know, you either cook the food warm, have a fire, or have a tent pitched correctly, or you don't. And um, in hindsight, I wish that I had been a um, little less of, of Mr. Fix-It. Don't get me wrong. There's par- parts of that in my my personality that are wonderful traits, especially when, and I've done this too, when I've uh, uh, directed them towards either pro bono work or other, you know, other means of helping others. Um, something that I get great um, uh, fulfillment out of is one. I'll never forget my grandma used to love storms, and so I grew up chasing hurricanes and storms and and um, we have a, a group of, of us that are their common tie is, is volleyball, mainly uh, the courts we help get built here in New Bern. And, and we'll get together after any of these bad events and just go around and help folks. Um, it's great. It's a wonderful it's... thing to do. And uh, yeah, my wife's got her special license tag on, on her car is BKND and be kind. And um uh, yeah, practicing random acts of kindness and, and goodness is, is great um, medicine to whatever challenges you have. I think one of the I most think, difficult yeah. things about practicing law is what we do is, is amorphous. And so often, even if we've won or it's gone great, it's, uh, it's not like the same feedback you get when you plant your own garden or fix something around the house or help someone else. You know, we kind of are in this, this, this intangible world of, of, you know, pleadings and, and judgments and appeals and orders and jury verdicts. And uh, I think it's very much fulfilling for me to, you know, engage in physical activity and see a result. And I think there's great value in that. Well, listen, we're going to have to stop and we're about out of time, but thank you so much for doing this with me today. I really appreciate it. And I, I'm going to come to Newburn, as I have said, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to sit down and and do it face to face and have a, a great time talking about hiking, pictures, yep. and the practice of law. And then the my amazing practice. It's been quite a journey, and uh, I, I have so much valued um, our relationship, Jim, and uh, it's meant a great deal to me. Thank you so much, Clark. It's good to talk to you. And for everyone who has listened, thank you so much for doing this. 
And I hope you will come back next Monday. If you enjoyed this, let us know. And always click the follow button if you have a chance to do so. Thanks so much.